Welcome to the GC On Demand podcast, a show about people, about process, about technology, about community. It's great conversations with great technologists about things that matter to you, that matter to all of us. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit gcondemand.io for all of the show notes. And with that, let's get started. All right, and welcome to the GC On Demand. Uh, I'd love to say that this is almost like a, a GC On Demand part two. I'm lucky enough because we we spoke recently with uh, Mitchell Hashimoto from HashiCorp. And one of the cool things I always enjoy doing is being able to, you know, tie things together. And it was kind of the perfect lead in. Uh, again, for folks that don't already know me, my name is Eric Wright. I'm Disco Posse on Twitter. You can find me. I'm Disco Posse in the Green Circle community. Uh, where you can find all the show notes and everything for the GC On Demand. You know, when I spoke with Mitchell, he mentioned, I said, like, one of the biggest challenges around this idea of of DevOps. And he says, you know what? The perfect person you need to talk to would be somebody I know very well. And with that, I'd, I'd like to welcome our guest to the show. Armand, if you want to introduce yourself, and then we'll we'll talk a bit about you. And actually, my preamble, I love Mitchell's lead on. It was the day that you started here. He says, Armand makes really awesome things, and he makes them really fast. So the, the bar is <laughs> set high. So if you'd like to intro yourself, and then uh, tell us where we can find you, you know, online, through social and such. Sure. Thanks, Eric, for, uh, for having me. Um, you know, my name is uh, is Armand, and like you said, you'll find me all around the internet. Conveniently, also just Armand, whether it's uh, you know Twitter, GitHub, Medium, so on and so forth. Uh, and as you, you beat me to the punch a little bit, I'm one of the co-founders of HashiCorp and uh, still acting CTO. And you know, it's funny that we've we do so much in the world of you know IT especially the like so our key audience especially a lot of folks who are like IT practitioners and we really kind of have more of an operations focused group which is why I love being able to to step them a bit further into the I'll call it the discomfort of development because it's a new way of of taking a different view of things and this is why devops has been such a a bit of an elusive term. And I know your team has done something really good. And you personally, you've got a great, you know, you've done a lot of great talks on it. And you talk about, you know, how we need to do things better. You know, maybe, Armand, if you want to start talking about what is DevOps to you, and, you know, like, you literally have what I call DevOps defined, and there's a great blog that you've done in a white paper. So maybe let's talk about what is Armand's version of DevOps? And, and where can we kind of find out how HashiCorp solve some of this stuff? Sure, yeah. I mean, I think what's funny about the term DevOps is, you know, I think if you probably asked five people their definition of DevOps, you might get seven different answers uh, for what it is. So, you know, I, I'm certainly happy to contribute an eighth answer. Um, you know, I think we, you know, we're sensitive to the fact that, you know, it's a, 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 I think there's slightly different ways of defining it, and I think HashiCorp has a very specific way of defining it, and that's what we've you know, written up in our DevOps defined uh, sort of white paper, as well as when we talk about DevOps, uh, there's sort of a very specific definition. Of it. So I'm happy to provide, you know, the, yet another <laughs> definition in that thing. Uh, I think for us, the way we like to think about it is, you know, stepping all the way back and looking at kind of 
you know, what is the bigger context in which we're talking about DevOps? It's really within a software development organization uh, de trying to deliver a piece of software, right? And so for us, as we sort of step back and look at this and say, you know what, if you look at any software organization, you can really think about it as a system, kind of like, you know, a software system. Uh, except in this case, you're really composing that system of three different, you know, things, three ingredients. Uh, you have your people, uh, you have your process that organizes those people, and then you have the tools that support both the people and the process. Uh, and then as you sort of get finer grained into this and say, okay, well, you know, what are the different types of people I have? You have, you know, at least your developers, your operators, your security teams, oftentimes a compliance group, you might have QA. So you have sort of different sets of people involved that have different specializations of knowledge. Uh, and then you have sort of the process by which you're organizing them. And the output of the system, hopefully, ideally, <laughs> uh, is software, right? And for us, the way we like to describe DevOps is it's the process by which you're organized as a system, right? So it's not about a particular tool. For us, there's no one tool or 10 tools that you could adopt that would magically make you DevOps, right? In the same way that you know, I don't think anyone say there's you know, a magical tool you could adopt that would make an organization agile, for example. That's right? it's, it's about that process. Um, and so for, for the way we like to think about it is, okay, you know, for any given you know, process that you want to use, there's a set of sort of fundamental steps to building an application, right? And for us, there's at least seven you know, necessary and sufficient steps as we like to think about it. So, you know, starting at the very top, what this starts with is you have to write the application, right? This is sort of independent of language or framework or, or anything else. Uh, once you've written it, ideally you're testing it. You know, that's maybe the only one uh, <laughs> that you could argue is, is a non-foundational step. Uh, there's a packaging phase. So almost regardless of the language, you're transforming, you know, your raw source code either into a binary, a jar, a Docker container, whatever. There's some sort of a packaging phase uh, before you're going to production. Uh, there's the provisioning of resources. So whether you're on Heroku and you're provisioning the Heroku app or whether you're on bare metal and you're dealing with, you know, compute storage or network, there's a provisioning step. So it sort of spans IIS, path, bare metal, private cloud, public cloud. There's the deployment phase. So We've provisioned our you know, Docker container potentially. Uh, I'm sorry, we've packaged our Docker container. We have provisioned our, you know, let's call it Kubernetes application. The deployment phase is then mapping what we've packaged onto what we've provisioned. Um, monitoring, so it's great that things are you know, deployed, but how do we make sure they stay deployed or are still within sort of the SLA bounds that we expect for the application? And then the last one, you know, and I feel a little guilty putting it last, there's really no ordering for it, is security. Um, the other ones are sort of a logical ordering. Security is the only one that's the oddball. Um, and the reason for that is it sort of can't be solved locally, right? So unlike packaging, I can sort of think about packaging in isolation. I can't think about security in isolation, right? If I only think about my production security, then, you know, staging or CI or my development environment end up being the kind of security target. So I sort of list it last, but it permeates the whole thing. So. And I think it, it, uh, some some may argue that it, like testing, it seems to be optional in a lot of organizations, which is it's a sad state of affairs. But that's it's really interesting that you you did highlight that you know and having I know the 
I know the the HashiCorp sort of DevOps stack very well, and I like it's placed you know in the normal stack between provision and deploy. And then it's funny that, but when we think about it, there are as many layers at which security needs to live, and and you know that in itself, we could like that's a whole podcast in of itself. That you know, actually we will talk about that at another occasion because Vault on its own is a very very interesting platform in how it solves you know secret management. And there you go is like just even defining what secret is. So I talked with Mitchell about that, and that was really cool. So my question, really, Armand, yeah, is I- it's like how did you come to know this flow and you know because typically it's you found a challenge and you you chose to solve it and that turned into a lot of these these tools and these these products how did you become aware of these challenges and and choose to try and solve it yeah, that's a really good question. And I think the the sort of journey that me and Mitchell went through together to it was, I think, you know, pretty circuitous <laughs> to end up here. We definitely didn't start by thinking about kind of like, what is DevOps? Um, you know, I think the true answer is, you know, me and Mitchell have been working together for maybe almost a decade now. Um, and we've went through a few different kind of environments, you know, cut our team very early in sort of like AWS and cloud in 2007. Uh, and then, you know, once, you know, through a few different kind of companies and projects, uh, kind of run, ran into the same sort of challenges around operations and, you know, tooling of how do I provision, how do I deploy, how do I monitor. And, you know, when we finally started HashiCorp, you know, to a degree, the company was founded out of, you know, frustration, which was, you know, why does it feel like we're constantly fighting our tooling as opposed to, uh, the tooling really helping us deliver and application. So, you know, I'd say the, the sort of origin story of the HashiCorp is pretty deeply tied to this, which is when we started, we really didn't know necessarily that, you know, we end up working in kind of the DevOps space. What we felt was that the, the process by which we were delivering software before was overcomplicated, that there was too many different tools involved. There was too many different weird touch points between the different systems, between the different teams. And we felt that it was just all unnecessarily complicated. And so when we started the company to, to a degree, it was like, well, it's a startup. There's two of us. There's really you know, no legacy or kind of uh, inherited systems we have to worry about. So what would it look like for us if we wiped the slate clean? Right? If we said, let's pretend we needed to deliver an application to a realistic production level environment where we have to care about things like you know, security and testing and you know, complex environments. What if we wanted to sort of walk through that whole thing, but without bringing any of sort of, you know, no Nagios coming along with us, no Zookeeper coming along with us, and we reinvented sort of what it looked like. And that gave us an opportunity, I think, to sort of distill our thinking down and say, like, what are those necessary and sufficient steps? And I think that's how we ended up with those seven sort of, you know, write, test, package, provision, et cetera. And, and you know, if you look at the HashiCorp tool chain, there's almost a one-to-one mapping between those essential seven steps and what we actually build as tools and products. Um, because that's sort of how our, how our thinking evolved was really from this point of view of saying, what are those things that we essentially couldn't get away from? Uh, and how do we build a product that's really, really good at doing each one of those things, right? Like, we just want Terraform to be the best provisioning tool. No more, no less, right? And Packer, living right alongside it, should be the best packaging tool, right? I think that's sort of where our thinking started. Um, and then, you know, kind of stepping back from that and realizing, okay, 
what we've built is really these tools, but it's really in service of this much bigger process, which is application delivery. Yeah, the flow the flow is what matters, and that kind of really goes to the the core of like the agile manifesto and and a lot of these things. What I like is that you've you've gotten to the you've gotten to the problem by solving individual you know you've gotten to the solution rather <clears throat> overall by solving these individual challenges along the way and then discovered the flow. It's kind of like the theory of constraints played out in real life through tools. And what I also really respect about the HashiCorp approach is that you lay out the flow and these are pluggable platforms. Like you can, if Terraform is the, the one you want to use for provision, or perhaps you've got, you know, vRealize automation, or perhaps you're using Manage IQ or you're using something else. There's still every other layer in this sort of workflow of application deployment stack that everything else can or maybe doesn't need to plug in. So it's, I really, really like the approach that you haven't made this dependency in your application chain. They're like, well, yeah, this would work great. Too bad it won't work because you didn't use Packer. <laughs> so your Terraform's <laughs> no good. They're like, what? Wait. <laughs> so, I mean, being, being yeah, agnostic, that was probably one of the biggest things and how how do you develop something and keep that like high level abstraction that's got to be a challenge unto itself oh totally i mean uh but i think to a degree what makes it easier is it fits more naturally i guess with what practitioners are trying to do right i think the the realistic situation is it's not that these seven problems are totally new and unheard of right like people have been writing and testing and provisioning since, you know, the dawn of computers. So the reality is in almost every organization, they have a platform or a tool or a solution or a process uh, for doing each of those things. And so what makes it sort of easier for us to, to help people adopt our tools, actually bring them in, is to take that philosophy of, you know what, like, it's just going to do the provisioning step and we're not going to require you to bring in the rest of our tool chain for the other bits because very likely you have something you're happy with there and we don't want you to have to boil the ocean, right? Like if you want to just use Terraform for provisioning, that's great. Uh, and we really shouldn't require you to bring in the full Hashi stack uh, just to solve a particular problem. And then I guess the, we've solved a lot of things here. And, you know, obviously, you know, it's tooling is probably one of the biggest challenges that a lot of folks have, especially when they look at like DevOps. But I really think that even with all the tooling in place, there's a lot of operations side folks that are still having trouble wrapping their head around mapping their processes to these nice, you know, nicely sort of segmented steps. So, I mean, Armon, you must have, if you're talking to developers, there's a lot of like, yeah, totally. Like it's, you know, they get it. And there's a sort of quicker understanding to why these things are important. But when you talk to an operations team, who maybe doesn't really get up into the code and the the you know key level security inside you know seafruit management? How do you kind of help them to find the aha moments where you're like, oh, I totally see where I can fit Vagrant and Packer and Terraform because that's those are my that's my things. You know, how does the operations conversation go? Yeah, and I think that that's a really that's a super good question. I think honestly. 
oftentimes what we find we spend more of our time with is helping people map out kind of those organizational challenges as opposed to necessarily the tooling challenges uh, for exactly the reasons you mentioned, which is, you know, the first thing we have to help people do is really understand, like, what is the terrain in which their organization sort of operates in, right? Like, what does their actual delivery flow look like from the developer all the way through to production? And that's when you can sort of help build that map for people, help them take a step back and really understand what we're talking about with DevOps is not, you know, some, it's hard to sort of talk about changing a workflow in sort of hyper-narrow, isolated pieces, right? And I think what happens in large organizations is you get that siloing effect, and so people don't really see the sort of broader forest for the trees. They see their individual trees, but they don't really see how the whole picture comes together. And so when you show them that, and you show them, hey, if you just take this piece that you're doing today, which is, you know, a developer is filing a ticket against, you know, your team, and then you're going and manually building, you know, the jar file that's going out to production, if we just take this one little piece and wrap that in, you know, let's build a CI system that's going to call Packer automatically and just build a pipeline. So every time they push to, the, you know, their master branch, we're going to call Packer. It's going to build a new artifact. It's going to push into Artifactory. And we're going to remove this whole ticket flow from you having to get a ticket, manually build an artifact, notify people, close the ticket. And now you can spend that time going and working on the interesting things you want to work on instead of, you know, manually building artifacts and sort of, you know, emailing people to keep them in the loop of it. And you sort of show them that picture of, like, here's this huge sort of, like, you know, if you, when you draw it as sort of a sequence diagram, you notice the sort of, you know, the, the spider webs or the, the rat's nests that start forming in the process. And you can show how that whole process can sort of be streamlined um, with a very small amount of automation. Usually it's like, okay, we're going to set up a Jenkins webhook. It's going to call into a packer. Here's the 50 lines of packer that's going to do it. And it's like sort of eye-opening for people as they have that aha moment of like, oh my God, this is going to save me like hundreds of tickets, right? That I just don't have to deal with anymore. And as I you would... sort of walk through how it's incremental, it's sort of people aren't scared of it anymore. Versus when you come in and you're like, you know, here we're going to DevOps, right? It's sort of a nebulous and threatening thing. And I think when we talk to operations teams, and I always get us this, I kind of go all the way from the bottom to the top of the stack just from you. Know, doing it, you know, over years in different roles. And I, I hit this point, And like you said, first figure out what they do. Because if you're talking to somebody who's in like, you know, traditional virtualization admin, and they typically do handoff to the application developers, when you start getting into console and nomad, they're just, their eyes will glaze over. They'll be like, I, I don't know what this is. And then they start to like back away from the Terraform and the Vagrant and the Packer, which they should really, really think about. And you have to remind them, like, hey, whoa, whoa. Now we know this isn't your area of expertise and what you do, who's the right person to then have the conversation with? And let's do this, you know, Gene Kim three ways, you know, amplify the feedback loop and let's really figure out how we all work together. And maybe this is the right, you know, tool chain that's going to help us to solve that. Like you said, people, process, and technology. And, and as I always tell people, it's in that order for a reason, right? <laughs> Exactly. You have to start with sort of like what is the expertise of the people and what's their process today, Because right? it's, you know, it's very hard to make blank slate transitions uh, when there's an existing process in place. Yeah, I think the, and the, the fear of change, it's not even a fear of change. We're, by humans love 
you know, routine. <laughs> we is there's a reason that babies eat at the same time every day and they go to bed every day at the same time. We think that like by the time we're 25, like we could just oh well we'll just keep changing things every week. Like no 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 we we still like those routines. It's just that we we eat our own food and we make our own food. But when we look at day-to-day processes, yeah, it's it's important that you find out how people do it and don't try to drastically alter it. Otherwise, it will go as poorly as if you drastically change a baby's bedtime. <laughs> right. And I think what's important is, you know, I think oftentimes, the, especially on the operator side, what we run into is the fear that, you know, if we do all of these things, does this just automate my job away? Right. And I think that is a very common thing we run into uh, is people who are afraid of that change. They worry like, OK, if I automate you know, these 10 things, does that mean you know, my job isn't necessary anymore? Right. Um, and I think the hard thing that you have to sort of explain and walk through people, walk people through is to say, you know, when the C compiler came out, you know, it, I'm sure it was the same thing. I'm sure assembly programmers are worried. Oh, man, if I, you know, this one line of high level C is going to compile down to you know, 400 lines of assembly. You know, does that jeopardize my job? And should I should we really adopt C as an organization, right? And you know, are we going to fire every assembly programmer, right? That's right. Uh, and you sort of look at that now, and you say like, no, that's sort of insane, right? And then you know, yeah, we went to C and that gave us 400x leverage, and then we went to Java and that gave us another 200x leverage, and then we went to Python and that gave us even more leverage, right? And it wasn't that we hired less developers; it's that we hired, you know, even more, right? Exponentially more. Yeah, when you um, make, it's sort of the same sort of concept. When you make these, when you make the products work better, you know, or differently in in more, especially with velocity. Yeah, like you said, it's not it's not actually getting rid of of anything. It in fact it gets you there faster, and you become even more valuable. I would think when you adopt platforms that can move faster, that are easier to use, that are more repeatable. My hope in my job is that I can be replaced by you know, anybody who can follow my recipes of deployments the next day if I were to not come into work. And it's not job protection to to make this all tribal knowledge. And I think that's another thing. Do you find, Armand, that like, is that another sort of resistance points? You know, this, like getting people to, to write it, even if they want to, like, how do you get people to convert tribal knowledge into composable infrastructure? Because that's got to be a whole different training aspect unto itself. It is, and I think I think it goes back to that same thing, which is you have to you have to replace sort of the fear aspect of, you know, I'm afraid if I do this that you know I'll lose my job or uh, that this role becomes irrelevant, and you replace that with you know the more exciting motivational aspect, which is like, yeah, you you know instead of work, you know doing four manual builds a day and saying like that's my job security, instead you become the person who knows you know, how the 400 builds a day are now taking place because of your automated pipeline that you've codified. So it moved from that tribal knowledge of I'm going to do the four to I'm the person who's automated and knows, and is, you know, iterating and optimizing this process that now touches 400 or 4,000 builds per day, right? So you have to replace that sort of move from the fear-based place into the exciting place of here's all the new cool things that are sort of higher levels of abstraction and higher, higher impact to the business uh, you could do if if you did actually you know write down that tribal knowledge as code uh, and automate some of these workflow processes. And I think this speaks to that sort of it's the organizational change uh, that's the hardest. It's not the tool part actually. 
Yeah, the tool simply supports the change that's been accepted. And and that is the real switch that is more difficult to to turn is is that you know, like I said, organizational acceptance. Since we're definitely we're getting we're getting there and like I just I appreciate the difficulty that, you know, especially your team is going to where you kind of probably have to explain a lot, you know, and, and kind of go through the same hoops as you like sort of get people dabbling in it. But it must be really exciting now, you know, however old, like how old is HashiCorp now? We're about four years That's in? About five years. Five yeah. years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, about four or five, yeah. So you've probably seen a lot of faces as you've showed them something and they suddenly, it hits. Like where they're like, Oh wow! I totally see how I can use this. <laughs> yeah, that must be fun to watch. It, I mean, it is, and what's been fun is a lot of our like you know users and customers. We're on that journey with them, where you know we maybe talked to them five years ago about you know just starting to you know use Vagrant to automate the development environment, and now you know you go into those same organizations, and it's like yeah, every developer is empowered to deploy. We deploy. You know, five times a day, we do thousands of builds, we have multiple environments, and it's like, it's exciting for us to see them, you know, go through that journey, uh, and oftentimes it's the same people uh, that we've gotten to work with over that whole time, and it's, uh, it's, it's fun and it's exciting, and I think that's, that's really the true reward for us. And I can tell you as a consumer of, of many layers of this DevOps stack by HashiCorp, Everywhere I go to, the first thing I look for is like, what's the what's the place that I can plug in something that I know I'm very comfortable with, and how can I make these folks comfortable with to maybe you know help to accelerate some stuff for them and give them time back to do, like you said, like solve other real challenges that are like business challenges and like you know coding challenges and getting you know business logic in place. Let's let's not spend all this time figuring out how to tape together the box. Let's just figure out a machine that can tape together boxes for us and let's figure out what's going inside the box. Right. And I think the approach you mentioned is, is honestly almost a hundred percent of the time, uh, the way real change is brought in is it starts with someone like you who says, okay, I really want to improve this one thing and really sort of show people the light. Uh, and you bring in something and you try it in sort of the corner of the shop and then it excites people. And that's how you really, you know, it says it snowballs from their organizational way. Uh, and I think that's, you know, for people that are looking to try and bring that into their organizations, I think you know, the model you just described is exactly the right way to do it. It's so once people see that business value, and, you know, and then they see, okay, this is how this thing can work and this is how we can apply it to our other problems, uh, then it's just sort of much more organic. Exactly. You know, and I can say, like I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan through and through and not, I literally, it's one of those ones I'm like, I am not being paid for this. I've, because I've won back in many ways in time and ability to accelerate my learning to a, a different level because I've solved a lot of these, you know, tooling and deployment challenges using various parts of the HashiCorp stack. And actually I'm doing uh, sort of of Terraform for VMware administrators series that I've like started a you know going to do some quick blogs on and I'm actually speaking at a couple of VMugs uh, in over the course of the next you know few months and people are really really loving the idea they're like ooh I've heard about this and they want to see it in action and in that same way I hope to send them home with this idea of like hey look this may only replace a small thing that you're doing it's not gonna 
really unseat your job and it very certainly won't unseat your platform wrapped around it so it doesn't scare the vmware folks and hey it's going to save you time and let you get on to some cooler things so it's uh, i'm glad to be able to help to evangelize right you know good products like like what you've got uh, and have brought to the market so thank you as a consumer you know and as well these are open source too so for people that do want to dig in and they want to contribute back contributions come both in code and in documentation and blogs as well, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And even if you just play around with it and use it and you know and that's a contribution in and of itself. So. Yeah, just it, it every new person that sees it and if they if they want to take it in and use it somewhere else, that that's a that's a win for sure. So with that, I mean Armand, I I know there's probably a lot of places that folks can find you. You know, I would highly recommend people can dig in. Uh, there's a lot of your videos are on YouTube from previous presentations. Where do can we find you over the next little while as we get 2017 underway? Yeah, I would recommend both. You know, my personal Twitter as well as the HashiCorp Twitter is a pretty great resource, uh, as well as HashiCorp's blog. Um, you know, we tend to to try and share out good material that. You know, both about just DevOps in general, as well as you know, material related to uh, HashiCorp and upcoming meetups and webinars and things like that. For example, I think we, for for folks that are interested in learning more about sort of the secret management world, we have an introductory webinar on Vault, uh, I believe, on the 25th, so just a, a week or so away. Uh, yes, exactly. And uh, so I'm going to make sure to try and get this published as quickly as possible. So I'm ahead of that <laughs> uh, because of that, that very thing. But I'll definitely share it out on my social uh, media as well to get, get folks in there because Vault is the place uh, a lot of us need to look. So I'll I'll figure out between you and Mitchell who the best one is to book to have a Vault chat uh, over the coming months because that's an area that that I'm particularly excited about. So with that, uh, Armand, uh, thank you very much for, for chatting today. Good luck with all things HashiCorp, and we will hopefully get a chance to chat again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Eric. Looking forward to chatting with you shortly. All right, thanks, Armand. If you like what you heard here and want to hear much more, don't forget to subscribe to the GC On Demand podcast. You can go to gcondemand.io where you'll find the links in order to catch us in iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and more. So go to gcondemand.io. Don't forget to rate us in your podcaster of choice and look for much, much more. Have a show idea? Tweet us at GC On Demand. Thanks for listening.